It is Friday, September 25th, 2020, and you are listening to the Federalist Forum, a constitutional think tank for every patriotic American. Today on the Federalist Forum, I'm going to discuss the reasons why we don't negotiate with terrorists and how doing so brings about the problems we now face with groups like BLM and Antifa, coming up next on the Federalist Forum. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Federalist Forum. I'm your host, Tom. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast that's become a popular resource for conservative truth and activism, a podcast where the truth reigns supreme and the manipulated falsehoods of the mainstream media are dismembered. There's a lot I want to get into today in a brief window of time, so I'm going to jump right in. We don't negotiate with terrorists. How many times have we all heard that statement? We don't negotiate with terrorists. This policy began decades ago as it pertained to hostage crises, really, and there were multiple motivations to have these policies, including a lack of guarantee that the hostages would be returned safely upon payment, as well as not creating an incentive for future future events or hostage takings. It's typically safe to say that as long as you consistently apply those policies without exceptions, terrorists can anticipate that there will be no reward for trading hostages. The goal of the terrorists is, of course, to hold something of value to you in exchange for financial gain. When we act to defund the police, we are negotiating with terrorists. We are committing to funding the wishes of terrorists in order to gain peace in our communities. It's just that simple. To defund the police is to negotiate with terrorists. Just as with foreign terrorists, there is no reason to believe that giving in to their demands is going to bring resolution to the crisis. And the proof of that is right before us. We are living the example of that failure right now. Look at all of the violence that not just continues in our streets in the name of BLM, but in fact continues to escalate. BLM protesters have now graduated to shooting police officers during these primitive street events. They're doing this after so many spineless city leaders have caved to their demands already. Even seeming lost in Stockholm Syndrome as they paint their own streets full of BLM propaganda. More than a dozen cities in the United States have already announced plans to defund the police or have already in fact started to do so. The City Council of Austin, Texas voted unanimously to cut $150 million, roughly one-third, from their police budget, reinvesting much of that in social programs including food access, violence prevention, and get this, abortion access. Uh, Austin's announcement closely follows the sweeping budget change approved by Seattle, a $3.5 million budget cut and the reinvestment of over $17 million that resulted in the resignation of the Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best, a 28-year veteran of the department and Seattle's first black police leader, to retire. It, it also resulted in the recent cut of more than 100 police officers from Seattle's police force. And if you've been up watching the protests that are happening in Seattle they're, they're horrible. The other night, there was an officer that was beaten with a baseball bat by these frickin' animals. Yeah. San Francisco, or I should say, uh, the country's two largest cities, New York and Los Angeles, approved budget cuts weeks after these protests began. New York slashed a billion from its 2020 police budget, 2021 police budget, pardon me, and while Los Angeles approved a $150 million cut for its police department. San Francisco approved a $120 million cut to the police and sheriff's department, promising investments in black residents. And the o- Oakland City Council passed its own $14.6 million budget reduction for the police department. A $15 million budget cut hit Washington, D.C. in July. 
Baltimore eliminated roughly $22 million. Portland cut $16 million. Philadelphia reduced police funding by $33 million. Hartford, Connecticut cut a million. Norman, Oklahoma slashed almost a million. Salt Lake City reduced its police budget by $5 million. And Milwaukee's mayor has already slashed 60 police officers in 2020 with plans to slash 120 more officers in 2021. Milwaukee, the nation's deadliest city in 2020 so far, with a 90% increase in homicides over 2019 and a murder rate per capita higher than New York City, Detroit, Louisville, Oakland, Baltimore, Atlanta, St. Louis, or even Chicago. It's absurd. Consider also that even though their actions weren't criminal, in a response to the officer-involved shooting of Breonna Taylor, that city announced a payment of $12 million to Taylor's family and a long list of planned operational reforms. Minneapolis immediately charged the officers involved in George Floyd's death with murder, and that inv investigation hadn't even begun. Furthermore, their city, their city council voted to entirely disband and abolish their police department. That's insanity. Do you see what happens when you negotiate with terrorists? They shoot police officers. They assassinate police officers. They loot and burn and destroy businesses and homes and commit more violence and disorder in our streets. The police have been defunded and in some instances abolished. Many cities have left their police departments vulnerable by removing their less lethal resources. How insanely stupid and counterproductive is that? Now you leave officers with the only choice of kill or be killed. That's madness. It's like asking your children to stop writing on the walls and then taking away their washable markers but leaving them with their sharpies. It's stupid. It doesn't make any logical sense. And of course, I'm not comparing police officers to children, but the, the analogy of taking away the tools that create the least amount of damage just baffles me. We've defunded or disbanded the police. We've paid restitution prematurely, I think. We've charged officers, again, prematurely, I think. We've begun giving in to the demands of these terrorists, yet they are still terrorizing us. This, all of this romper room bullshit we see happening in our streets, is because these spineless city leaders didn't put their foot down, and instead they caved to the ridiculous short-sighted demands of these thugs. It's difficult to wrap one's mind around the gross amount of negligence and dereliction of duty exhibited by these city leaders who have disregarded their sworn oaths and intentionally placed their citizens' lives in danger. That's what they're doing. That's what they've done. Make no mistake about it. By defunding the police and removing the resources that they need to safely protect and serve the community, mayors like Ted Wheeler, Eric Garcetti, Bill de Blasio, and Tom Barrett have made a premeditated and intentional decision to forfeit the safety of their citizens of the community in order to give in to the demands of terrorists. Why would they do this? Well, for votes, of course. For selfish political gain. They are putting your lives in danger so they can stay in office and enjoy all of the power and greed and accolades from the Democratic Party that come with that. It's abhorrent. It's wrong. And it's in contrary to everything our country was founded upon. The pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness would seem impossible when you can't leave your home out of fear you might be gunned down in the street for your political beliefs in Portland, or you have your family assaulted while eating at a D.C. restaurant, or watch your businesses burn to the ground in Kenosha, all at the hands of terrorists paid off by the mayor tasked with protecting you. Every day that I wake up and check the headlines, there's another story of short-sighted politicians playing armchair quarterback. I just saw this morning that Dallas, uh, the city council there, voted to cut overtime pay for police officers by 30%. Cutting overtime by one-third at a time when you need more officers on the street to protect citizens from the mobs you're allowing f to form in those streets. The stupidity astounds me. 
Asheville, North Carolina, the site of plans for very contentious protests, announced almost a million dollars to be cut from their police budget. Uh, it's This is across the country. Across the country, these jackasses are gutting their police departments. But in a twist of irony, then, they wonder why crime is rising and want to blame the police for that. Just months after voting on plans to disband the Minneapolis Police Department, the Minneapolis City Council this past week were asking where are the police after being bombarded with phone calls from residents about increased crime. Council President Lisa Bender, who was among those leading the call to overhaul the department, suggested that officers were to blame and that they were being defiant. Lisa Bender has been leading the crusade to abolish the police department and replace them with what she's calling a new community safety agency with plans to hire violence interrupters to intervene and defuse potentially violent confrontations. Just what in the hell do you think the police do? They are simply replacing police with people who will perform the same functions but with a new title. And guess what? The criminals don't care what you call them. They are still going to defy them, and you are ultimately going to end up right back where you are with a whole lot of people becoming collateral damage along the way so that you can treat this like a fifth grade science project while disregarding the safety of your city's residents and businesses. It's completely nuts. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We already see that meeting their demands does not change their behavior. But let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's say we defund all of these police departments across the country and replace them with social workers or violence interrupters or unarmed librarians. Statistically speaking, just going by math and reasonable possibilities, you will potentially save someone who might have otherwise escalated into a deadly force situation with police. Of course you will. By the sheer numbers and statistical probabilities, you might have a couple of already violent criminals. Not innocent people. We aren't talking innocent people shot by the police. But we might take a few violent criminals and be able to interview in a way that de-escalates. Or intervene in a way that de-escalates. But at what cost? How many of those unarmed interrupters or social workers will be violently killed by these criminals? How much higher do we want the rates of murder and rape and armed robbery to go up in these cities across the country because there aren't enough law enforcement resources available? Because that's what's going to happen. We are going to save a handful of violent criminals from the justifiable escalation of deadly force scenarios at the cost of tens of thousands of innocent victims across the country. That's not an exaggeration. It's not an embellishment. It's a reasonably constructive theory based on reality. Removing police officers to save violent criminals will only create more innocent victims. That's a fact. In fact, it is scientifically impossible for that to work out to any other conclusion. When police departments' budgets are cut, when we negotiate with terrorists, violence and civilian injuries increase. The, and the natural effect of that cause is that departments turn to taxation by citation to raise money. That's not speculation. It's, it's called citation taxation. And departments take a cut of each citation written as a common fundraising strategy. You know, such tickets often cost residents more than expected. A $100 traffic ticket costs a California resident $100 in state assessment fees, $70 in county assessment fees, $50 in court construction fees, $20 for emergency medical fees, among with other fees resulting in almost $500 ticket for rolling through a red light. Well, no one wants to pay a $500 traffic violation ticket. The communities of color are especially hard hit and ill-equipped to pay such tickets. Officers also write more tickets when department revenue is at stake. I mean, in St. Anne, uh, St. Anna, St. Louis suburb, speeding tickets almost tripled while the suburb's population decreased. In New Miami Village, Ohio, 45,000 tickets were issued in 15 months to, to a population of about 2,000 people. If appropriately funded, police could focus on crime rather than fundraising. 
The Illinois State Police reported an increase in fatal car accidents due to a decrease in motorcycle traffic officers after budget cuts back in 2010. In order to raise funds for the department, they implemented a policy wherein $15 for each citation adding to the cost of them, such as a speeding ticket written, went to the state police. Defunding the police and removing their resources actually has the opposite effect. It adds even more stress and potential for things to go wrong to an already turbulent job. This is proven as well. During the 20, 2008 recession, many police departments were forced to cut officers as federal funding decreased. In Memphis, as one example, use of force complaints almost doubled as officers in an understaffed department were required to work overtime, the same overtime that many Democrat cities are now cutting from police officers. Here's another factor. To make up for the loss in staffing, many departments lower wages in order to add more officers back to the streets. Police officers in smaller jurisdictions, or those primarily populated by people of color, are frequently paid, paid less. In, in Hillsdale, a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri, for example, new officers earn about $13.50 an hour after a probation period. That's less than hourly workers at Target. Low wages force many officers to take extra jobs, leaving them tired and unprepared to deal with the high-stress police situation. And David Harris, who is a University of Pittsburgh law professor, has stated, we should not assume that the most poorly paid cops are the worst cops, but the chances increase that you don't attract the best officers. And that's just true. You know, have these cities consulted with groups like Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, who can tell you firsthand the devastating effects of cutting funding from police? You don't negotiate with terrorists. In fact, to the contrary, you get tougher with them. You stop coddling criminals. You stop victimizing criminals. You stop criminalizing police. You stop the insane liberal practices of empowering weak liberal judges who don't hold criminals accountable. You stop slapping the hand of the shoplifter who becomes the burglar, who becomes the armed robber, who becomes the murderer, because every step along the way some spineless liberal judge felt he was a good boy who made a mistake and deserves a second chance, or a third chance, or a fourth and a fifth chance before he fatally takes a life and then instead of mourning as a community for the victim, we mourn the, for the criminal who was shot by police when he aimed a gun at police who were trying to detain him after that murder. It's absurd. But what I just gave you is not an embellishment or exaggeration of what happens. We've all seen it so many times. You stop negotiating with these terrorists in our streets and start holding them accountable for their behaviors. That is how everyone wins. That is how the innocent law-abiding citizens of this country win. That is how our communities win, especially the black community. That is all I have for today, friends. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be so grateful if you take a minute to share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, leave me a review. If you'd be so kind, feel free to follow and engage with me on Parlor. My handle is at ExposingLibsBS. Or drop me an email at ExposingLiberalBS at gmail.com. Friends, it is time for all of us to passionately take action. And we the people have a proud history of doing just that. You've been listening to the Federalist Forum. Thank you for your listenership and for your patriotism as we fight together to preserve the founding principles of our constitutional republic. Until next time, sapientia est potentia. Wisdom is power. <laughs>